Hello and welcome once again to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode today is titled Winter Trout Fishing with Artificials. And I have talking to us today Captain Stu Calder of Goal Leader Guide Service out of the Riceville Beach area. And we're going to be talking about those winter fish patterns. We're going to be talking about lure selection. We're going to be talking about presentation. And Stu Calder is going to walk us through both the ICW and the river habitats, different things happen in those two different habitats in, with the winter trout. I'm Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Uh, Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now in this latest and greatest chapter, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. In this podcast series, we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast to share with us their insights and knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. But truly, our goal is not just catching more fish more often, but getting you and your family and your friends out on the water, spending more time together more often. And I'm joined this week, just I am joined every week by my partner, my production partner, and I'm talking about Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Hello, Billy from afar. What's up, Gary? How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. I tell you, I'm feeling a little exposed. I'm more comfortable doing this podcast with you right there by my side in the same space and this Skyping in or whatever, this e-camming in. I don't know yeah. if I'm on my game. Hey, man, it looks good. You actually, you look really good over there, even from a distance. You look better in person, well, yeah. but you look good from afar. No big deal. This is this is an old friend, so I wanted to <laughs> that we're interviewing. So I wanted to wear one of my best white T-shirts. Um, I did want to make a point not to shower, not to shave. You know, just out of respect for Stu Calder. Yeah, just to make him feel more comfortable as well, right? <laughs> yeah, he needs it, man. This poor guy. He's been. He needs oh, every help man. he can get. Well, Gary, as I do always, just want to thank everyone for watching, for listening. Gary and I really appreciate the support. Um, and for those who don't know how to do the opposite of what you're doing currently, I'll show you this little social slide here we have. Uh, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, uh, most recently Apple or Amazon Music, rather. And then uh, also you can watch these videos on YouTube uh, and really appreciate everyone subscribing to, to our channels and rating and reviewing us. It really helps with the algorithm. Uh, so if you get value from these podcasts, uh, which you'd be crazy if you don't, I've learned so many things. Uh, be sure to subscribe to those. It really helps us uh, keep, keep the podcast going, keeps our sponsors super happy. Which it, we're super happy super to have happy. Marine Warehouse Center. Uh, we really appreciate those guys. And got a new video, Gary. Here we go. I'm going to roll it. I'm in. As you know, it's been a great year for boat sales. However, it's been really tough for customers to find boats in stock. We're the headquarters in Wilmington, North Carolina for Paracustoms, Sailfish, Sea Chaser, and Carolina Skiff. Our manufacturers are telling us the high demand for boats is going to affect 2021 inventory as well. So if you're looking to get a boat in spring, you need to come sign up with us now. You know what? I love that commercial, what? but I'm really sad. I'm like, you know what? If they don't have enough boats to sell, they're never going to give me one. <laughs> it, 
if they're short of votes to sell, then I think your instincts are correct, Billy. The oh. hey, we've got some extra boats lying around. Let's just give one to Billy. That that poor right. guy. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. Well, if you guys need a boat, you better go over there to Marine Warehouse and sign up now to, I guess, even to find a used one. That's crazy, man. Boat market's crazy right now. Boat market's crazy, and I'll tell you what else. And that dude Terrell is crazy. One of the owners of Marine Warehouse Center. <laughs> I mean, that guy came over, you know, he insisted, he insisted as he does like every week. And I came over, pulled a tray of pigs in the blanket out of the oven and just started eating them, (laughs) told me to join in. And, uh, and as he does, he told me this joke. Uh, I have it written down because I didn't even memorize it, but, um, would you like to hear Terrell's joke? I would love to. Well, Terrell told me, give a man a fish, feed him for a day. Give a man a poisonous fish, feed him for a lifetime. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that one. I think he was high on pigs in a blanket. I didn't see him drink anything, but he ate so many of those things so fast. I think he had a food buzz, and he just didn't even know what he was saying. I mean, what is a pigs in a blanket anyway? Is that like the fancy person way of saying corn dog? I don't know. No, man. Well, I get. I mean, a croissant wrapped around a little hot dog. I guess yeah, that's a fancy corn that's dog. A, that's a corn dog. I for, still feel for... like it's a blue collar meal. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If, I'm if pigs for... in a blanket is a fancy meal to you, Billy, then <laughs> give up your hopes and aspirations for a boat. I'm gonna need Go more ahead. sponsors for the show. <laughs> Go ahead and get a canoe. I know, right? Oh man, I'm show, show me a fish a... photo. Here yes. we go. Here we go. Where's that fish photo at? Oh, look here. Kirk Bandy uh, from Statesville, North Carolina, with a seven-pound speckled trout uh, caught in the Cape Fear River on live bait, weighed in at wildlife bait and tackle. Man, what a fat fish. Jeez. Yeah, man. my ex-girlfriend. Oh. <laughs> Where's my sound effects? <laughs> I don't have any. <laughs> I don't have any, but yes, we have a trout out of the Cape Fear River, and that's one of the elements we're going to talk to Captain Stu Calder about. But Billy, before I get to Captain Stu Calder, a reminder that we are looking for Billy's best takeaway at the end of the show. Billy's best takeaway. And I have a feeling Stu's going to drop some real knowledge on you, so you should have no trouble picking out. Well, maybe that'll be the trouble, which one to pick out, because I have a feeling a lot's coming our way. Well, All right. Let's get to it, Gary. Let's get those trout, right. baby. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, I introduce you to Captain Stu Calder of Goal Leader Guide Service, and he's operating out of the Riceville Beach area. Longtime friend. We're going to talk about winter trout fishing with artificials. And again, we're going to talk about fish patterns. We're going to talk about lure selection, presentation. And we're also we're going to make sure we cover both the river and the ICW. Welcome to the show, Stu Calder. Uh, thanks for having me, Gary. Yeah, man. Good to see you. Good to good see you. Good to see you, man. And I know I know you're already impressed with the level of the joke that I just told about everything professional about this show. But before we hear what you have to say about winter trout fishing, I got two questions for you, Stu Calder. Are you ready? Yep, I'm ready. Go ahead. Give it to me. All right. Question number one. These people that have tuned in and they're tired of hearing Billy and I talk, why should they continue to listen to you? Why should they listen to you have anything to say about a speckle trout? Um, 
Well, you know, I've been fishing for these, you know, trout since I was a little kid, since I was probably five years old, standing on the rock wall with my dad throwing mirror lures and grubs and him holding on to my belt. Uh, I'm 51 years old now. I've, I've probably been fishing for him for 45 years, you know, since I was a little munchkin. I've been guiding for 20 years. Uh, and one of my primary targets is speckled trout. I mean, I love the trout fish. I like to catch red drum, but I love the trout fish. I like to catch them on top water or jerk bait, soft plastics. I've been fishing everywhere from the New River all the way down to ICW from Topsail to, to Rich's Inlet to Wrightsville to Carolina Beach and the Cape Fear River. Mostly now, probably about 95% of my trips are all in the Cape Fear River, and I've been fishing that pretty hard now for probably the last 25 years. Um, so I've kind of learned the patterns and the movements of the fish and the the little nuances that kind of direct their movement, especially in the river. Um, the intercoastal waterway stuff is a little easier for me anyway. The river can be a little more difficult because you have a few more variables you have to add in there. But, you know, I've just been fishing for these guys on artificials since I can't remember. And I've always thrown artificials and uh, that's all I throw is artificials. I don't throw any live bait for any trout. I, I feel like that's more feeding them than it is fishing for them. So I'm a uh, artificial fisherman. All right. I'm going to accept that answer. <laughs> you had me at on 51 and I've fished for him for 45 years. <laughs> question number two, <laughs> Stu Calder. Yes. This is your non-fishing related question. Oh, and I took the play off of your charter boat, your charter business name, Gold Leader Guide Service. Okay. So as of this morning, Stu Calder, how much would you guess that gold is currently worth per ounce? <laughs> I actually have no idea. Um, I got the name Gold Leader Fishing because Gold Leader is a... Uh, it's a squadron out of Star Wars. And I was a big Star Wars head, still am. And um, that's how I got my name. It has, actually has nothing to do with gold, except uh, I liked those wire leaders that we used to use when we used to King Mackle fish when I was a kid. They were gold. And I was like, all right, well, there it is, gold leader. And there's my, uh, that's how I got my name. Well, that certainly is a heartwarming story there, Stu, but I'm going to need a guess <laughs> on what gold is worth per ounce. I have no clue. I have no Billy, idea. Billy, help out Stu. Uh, dude, I don't know. I should know this. I should know this, but I don't know this. Mean. You don't even take a guess. Jeez. I don't even know. Hold on a second. I got Google. Are you Googling it? Why yeah. Am I... 1800 bucks. Here, let me tell you. 1800 bucks an ounce. You don't need to go Google it. Bucks? Good Lord. 1800 bucks an ounce. Jeez. All right, pigs in a blanket's fancy to me, boys. I don't know gold. <laughs> Stu, we've wasted too much time with these ancillary items. Let's get right to the meat of it. You had talked about fish patterns in the pregame and mm -hmm. the pre-show talk. You talked about fish patterns moving from late fall into early winter patterns and then moving mm -hmm. from early winter into late winter patterns. So That's please, right. let's go right into fish patterns. Take me at how these fish change 
moving from late fall into early winter, please. Okay, well, the first scenario I'm going to talk about is going to be um, mainly fishing the intercoastal waterways and the beaches. Uh, and then I'll go into the river. Um, Perfect. So right now, all this is going to be about is the intercoastal waterways or fishing the beaches. So what happens is right now, all the baits moving down the beach that are trying to get out of here. There's still plenty of mullet around. There's still pogies around. Plenty of bait around. The ocean right now is warmer than the intercoastal waterway. So what that means is if we get a real cold snap, these fish are going to stay wherever there's a lot of ocean water flow coming in because you have to think about cold water is like fire to us. It's just the exact opposite. It's just be that it's heat, but the fish run. They don't like very cold water because it'll kill them. Well, that's the same thing as it is kind of a fire from us. So when the water is warmer in the ocean and the water's pushing in, the fish are going to orient right now closer to the inlets, closer to the creeks that are near the inlets uh, and to the actual beaches themselves. Now, as the water temps drop and drop and drop and that water on the inside gets a little bit colder, they're actually going to stay in there for a while until it reaches a, a certain temperature. I have found that usually 52, somewhere in that ball game, they tend to start looking for warm water situations. And warm water situations are either typically the beaches, in my case, around the rock jetties out there, or... They're looking for areas where the water moves up and down, but it doesn't move in and out. That means the water that's in there stays in there because that water tends to get heated up by the sun. So you have to kind of find these little areas that are warmer and you got to use your scope to find it. And you kind of got to figure out, okay, I got to be away from the inlet or I got to be on the beach where it's the warmest. Or you have to be in an area where it is uh, not moving, where it's just moving up and down, but it's not moving in and out. So you kind of want a dead end spot for that. Can you give me an example of a locale where the water would be moving up and down and not in and out? Well, somewhere like uh, here, like behind Rice will be somewhere like Lollipop. Okay. That doesn't get a lot of current flow at all. So that water doesn't transition very much. There's not a lot of movement on that water. So those banks will sit there and they'll actually bake. So right now we're in the early, early winter, you know, late fall, early winter pattern. Right now the fish are aggressive. They're fattening up. The water temps are still good. You don't have to worry about them being too cold till they really drop below about 55. That's when you really have to kind of hone in what you're doing right now. Anything near the inlets is probably going to be holding some type of fish. Uh, the creeks near the inlets, um, the actual inlets themselves, um, because they're aggressive. They're trying to fatten up for the wintertime right now. Um, as we transition more into the late winter, that's where uh, they'll move to these warmer water areas because you know, that cold water is too much for them. They'll move to the warmer water areas. And even if you find them in that cold water, it's going to be hard to get them to eat uh, if the water is really cold. Now, this is just okay. all the intercoastal waterway and the oceans. This is not the river. Now, the river in this early season, I mean, this uh, early winter, this late fall, early winter pattern, uh, 
they're at the lower part of the river. And then what happens is, as the water temps drop, you get a little further into the into the winter a little bit, they start moving upriver. And then as it gets colder, they move further upriver. And they'll move in the Cape Fear River, they'll go all the way past downtown. I've caught them up past Smith Creek, um, even past the bridge up there uh, above Smith Creek. And same thing with the New River. As the water temps start to drop right now, the fish are, they're already upriver in the New River right now, but there's fish in the lower part of the river too. Um, as that water temp drops, these fish will start to just produce and move upriver and further upriver and further upriver. So I follow everything we're talking about. I get this water temperature and how it's key to it. What are some other, what are some other environmental areas that we're looking at? Like it's not, of course, you're following the water temp, but what else do you like in the ICW structure-wise, surrounding-wise, habitat-wise? And then again, after the ICW, if you take me through the same conversation in the river. Sure, sure. Um, mainly in the ICWs and around the inlets, the first thing you're looking for is bait. There's got to be some kind of bait, whether it's those little silver sides, if it's, um, I'm not sure really what they're called. They're like a little... They're kind of like a little uh, grunt or something like that, but they're a small little silverfish with a little upturned mouth on them, and they really like those. If you ever find those guys, start fishing. Um, look for bait first if you can find it. The next thing you want to look for is you want to look for a little bit of current in the early season. They like current in the early season. Um, they'll sit out of the eddies. They'll sit kind of off the side of the current, not necessarily right out in the middle of it, Um but they'll sit somewhere near the eddy or right near the drop, wherever the current kind of has just a little subtle break in it. They'll sit in that little subtle break. Look for your little Creek mouse, look for your oyster beds. Um, and mainly you have to get out there and you, you got to throw, you have to get out there. You got to put the baits in the water and you got to throw and you got to cover water. Um, there's no, there's no real secret. It's not like, oh, if you do this, it's going to happen. It's really, you know, hard work. You get out there, you fish a lot, you throw a lot. And when you find them, you remember where you got them and you look at that scenario that you got them. What was the tide? Um, what direction was the current flowing? What were you near? Uh, what type of bait did you see coming out of, the, out of here? What did you see? What kind of drew you there? Because you got to realize the fish are looking for the same things and you have to figure out what it is they're looking for. So in the ICW, I'm looking for good water, nice and clear. These fish up here in the ICW, they like clear water, clear, clean water. They want it nice. Um, I'm lo looking for a little bit of current, maybe some little creek mouse, oyster beds, um, little breaks in those currents little corners if you're looking at a bank and you see just a straight flat bank uh you know make a pass on it don't spend too much time unless you look down and you see the fish but if you see a bank that has a lot of bends and a lot of corners on it check that bank because they'll use those corners they may not be on this first corner they may be on the second or the third corner but check those little corners out because they like those current breaks and remember what tide you hit those corners on because they're going to probably set back up on those same tides. Now, down here at Riceville, we're lucky that we have these rock jetties. Um, this season for the rock jetties is getting ready to start up. Once that water temp kind of drops down a little bit, 
the fish will sit up on the wall. They'll sit up on the ocean side of the mason burl jetty, the inside of the mason burl jetties. Um, and what will really push those fish around a lot of times is uh, cold fronts. Um, when cold fronts come through, the fish tend to go deep. Um, they may stay shallow, but the problem with that is, is the more that barometer changes, the more it affects the shallow water fish. Um, so if you can find some deep fish and you have a cold front or something come through, go to those deep fish because those fish aren't going to feel the barometric pressure change as quickly and as harshly as the shallow water fish. So just keep that in mind because we get a lot of cold fronts this time of the year. And before the cold front, you get those kind of those gray overcast days. There's a lot of water moving. They move up shallow. They're feeding. They're busting baits, doing all that. But then you go back the next day and it's blowing northwest and it's bluebird sunny skies. And you probably, the fish are probably still there, but they're feeling that barometer change. And they really don't bite as well. They kind of get locked jaw. Um, but if you go to those deep fish, say over eight feet deep, they don't feel the pressure change as much, and those fish are more likely to eat than those shallow water fish. So we've got those conditions here for the waterways, water depth, water clarity, bait, the bank you're on, make sure it has good corners to it, lots of current breaks, and, uh, you know, just kind of look, and you can kind of almost feel it. When I pull into an area, the first thing I do is I just stop, and I look for just a little bit. I just sit there and look. I want to get a feeling for the area. I want to see is the current flowing at the right speed that I like. I want a little bit of flow. Is it creating the eddies that I'm going to need? Is there enough bends? Are there some maybe some birds standing on the bank? Are there some egrets? Am I seeing, um, you know, life? Life breeds life. So if you're seeing pinfish underneath the boat or you're seeing stingrays and crabs, if you're seeing life, you're probably in a pretty good area. But if you go to an area and you're not seeing a lot of life, you probably need to just uh, move on. All right. I like it, man. Life breeds life. I can I can hold on to that. <laughs> now, the audio is doing a little something. Was Did you cover the river as well, or was that all focused on ICW? No, that was all the ICW. So what we're doing for the river okay. is just a little bit different now. In the river, the, 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 the next thing that affects it in the river is all those things I just said, water clarity. In the river, sweet tea water is good water. Yoohoo water is bad water. If, it, if you're in an area and it looks like Yoohoo, leave. They, you might get a bite here or there, but you are, it's very tough. Um, so sweet tea water is what I call it. If you can find good, clear, sweet tea water in the river, that's what you want. Look for rocks. There's more rocks in the river. Um, some of these little islands that have oyster corners on them or rock corners on them, if they've got an eddy on them, hit them. They may be sitting there, they may not, because they do move around in the river. Because the, 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 the extra thing that affects them in the river, besides, you know, clarity and bait, the same things that affect them along the waterway is salinity. Um, if you have a big rain, you may need to push down river just a little bit. If you don't have a lot of rain, you can slide where you were, or maybe even it's getting colder and colder, maybe even bump up river a little bit. Um, 
the salinity is the extra factor in the river, uh, especially for the Cape Fear, because we get so much flow um, all the way up from Raleigh. So if you get a big rain up in Raleigh and they release the water uh, from the lakes up there, then all of a sudden you're going to have a lot of fresh water in the river. And that salinity level will affect uh, where the fish sit. And more or less than anything, what it does is it push the, pushes the shrimp around in the river. And once it starts pushing the shrimp around, the, the fish follow the shrimp. So um, in the river, you're looking for the same things. Decent water. Look for, look for um, you know, sweet tea water. Look for your current breaks. Look for stretches of banks that have corners on them, not just a flat stretch. Bank. It's not to say that you won't catch them on those banks. You may. You may get, you know, you may run into a random school and find them sitting on that bank somewhere and they may be there for a couple of days. They may have just found a little spot they like to get and they'll sit there for a couple of days. But for the majority of the fish, you're looking for creek mouths, looking for bait, looking for life, looking for good water, corners. Corners are a lot of uh, a lot of it. They like eddies. They like current breaks. And uh, then you just have to kind of watch the weather see what the uh, salinity is going to be get a lot of rain bump back down river a little bit if it doesn't rain too much you can kind of stay where you are or maybe even bump up river a little bit man all that's logical all that's easy to follow um how about what you're going to throw at them man and this is an artificial only conversation so yep give me the give me the give me the hit list give me the top lures um well it's going to depend on the bait you see when you pull in there now typically in this early season the early winter before the water let's say before the water it drops below 55 let's call that that's kind of our break point i mean give or take a degree or two but let's say 55 degrees 55 degrees and up i'll throw um you know on low light conditions i'll throw a top water plug um the good thing about top water is you don't catch many small ones. You may not catch all, all of them, but you're going to, the ones you will catch typically will be decent fish. Um, I like to throw a good walking lure with a low pitch rattle in it. Preferably, if you can get a top water walking lure that has the little beads in it. A lot of them nowadays aren't made with those little BBs in them. To me, they really like that little BB sound. I don't know what it is, but I have caught them really well on low pitch top water plugs with the little BBs in it versus these um, these other top water walkers that are kind of loud. They kind of make that loud clack, clack, clack noise. I don't know if it's too much for them. Not that I haven't caught them on those lures too, but I found that I've caught more quality fish when I'm throwing top water on baits that have the little BBs in it. And the same thing with my jerk baits. I'll throw X wraps or I'll throw uh, some type of maybe um, like a bomber long A, uh, the mirror lure baits, uh, the 52Ms or the TT baits. Also the MR17s or 18s, depending on how much current there is. Uh, if you're in a lot of current, you may have to go to an 18. Um, if your current isn't too bad, you may have to, you know, you can get away with a 17, but sometimes a 17 won't get down all the way. If you're in only a couple feet of water, it'd probably be good. Um, 
of course your soft plastic's got to be in there i throw a lot of doa baits i love them uh i've been throwing them since i can remember pretty much and the uh the doa shrimp man it's, it's just a proven proven good bait for me it's you can put it on a popping cork or you can fish it bare either way it doesn't matter um i like the paddle tail baits now uh as we get into a little more current you may have to go to the fork tail baits uh just to get them down to the bottom but still use a light head sometimes that paddle tail will want to surf up in the current a little bit um, so if I'm in water a little bit deeper, say I'm fishing after a cold front and I'm having to fish out in that, you know, six, eight foot of water and a little bit of current, I'll go to forktail baits just so I can get those forktail baits down on the bottom where they're going to be sitting after that front. So, you know, a lot of soft plastics, the DOA shrimp, some of the, the cow shad tail bait, um, my jerk baits are going to be typically X wraps, maybe bomber long A's. Um, I'll throw a lot of the the mirror lure baits, a lot of MR 17s, a lot of MR 18s, kind of depending on, like I said, current um, mirror lures this time of the year. And I love a good mirror lure bite. You you just can't beat that thump on a mirror lure, especially at night. A, a good nighttime bite on a mirror lure. Mm, that rock wall at masonboro on a big moon from now until february man you may some nights you'll get out there and catch a bunch and one night you may not catch many but you're gonna catch one big one um that's a that's kind of a special thing getting out there at night and fishing those those mirror lures i i love a good mirror lure bite and those are probably the majority of the base now i will switch it up a little bit during different types of the year uh as to what i'm kind of throwing but for the winter time i can be a little more aggressive in water temp above 55 degrees as that water temp drops below 55 you know give or take 56 54 somewhere in that ball game maybe even 53 once it starts to drop below those temperatures and gets cold that's when you really have to settle things down and they have to be not quite as aggressive but i kind of have a hard time fishing slow so sometimes it's it's difficult for me to slow down sometimes. Man, what about color? Like that was a pretty detailed conversation about topwater mm -hmm. jerk baits and soft plastic. How does how does color selection factor in any of that? Now, up here, you know, from let's say, you know, Bear and Browns Inlet all the way to Carolina Beach Inlet, the water is really clear. Um, so I go more natural colors in that type of situation. Um I'll keep things, you know, close to either like if I'm fishing and there's little croakers or those little silver sides I was telling you about with the little upturned snouts, white on white. I don't know what it is, but if I'm in those, if I'm in that type of bait scenario, a white back, white belly bait with a silver side on it is on. Um, if I'm around mullet, I'll try, you know, the blue backs, the green backs the gray backs, some type of those natural baits try to mimic those mullet. If I'm in Menhaden, I'll drop more Menhaden colors, more olive color backs, uh, maybe a little bit of pink on the sides of some of them. They make one, Mirror Lure makes one, I think it's called a, 
I think it's called a rainbow. I think it's, I want to say a rainbow trout color. I think it's what it is. It's like an olive green back with a white belly and it's got like a pink fade on the side of it. That's a good bait when you're around a bunch of menhaden. They really love that thing. And that works good up here and in the river. Um, and this is all early season. Now, as you go into that colder water, the colors change a little bit. Um, but in the early season, I'm trying to mimic those uh, uh, fish that are seen up here in this clear water. Top water plugs, old faithful, redhead, white body. You can't beat it. I don't know. I've been throwing it since I was little. My granddad threw it. It worked. Um, but I will switch it up and throw maybe that bone color a lot. Uh, throw some of those clearer bellied baits. They make some clear bellied uh, top water plugs that work really well. And depending on how windy it is, that's where I start to vary um, the pitch that I throw. If it's real windy and choppy, I'm throwing high pitch. If it's real calm and real quiet, I'll throw, you know, a low pitch bait, uh, even a uh, the little BBs. If I can find them, you know, get top water plugs with the BBs in them, I'll throw those or top waters with nothing in them. If it's just oil slick calm out there. The calmer it is, the more subtle you got to be because these fish, uh, trout are very sensitive. And uh, in that clear water, they're even more sensitive, it seems like, because now they've got really good vision, too. So they're already dial things in with their lateral lines. Uh, they can feel the vibrations. They're, they're, they are a hunting machine, and they are very sensitive. You know, this clear water, drop your leaders down below 15 pound uh fluorocarbon natural colored you know soft plastics natural colored jerk baits that white on white x wrap there's a killer if you're searching and you don't know the area you're at and the water's above 55 degrees put a white on white x wrap throw it up on the bank on high tide pop it two or three times and let it sit pop it two or three times and let it sit and when it's sitting still, they're going to bang that thing. If it's above 55 degrees, a white-on-white X-wrap, man, that's a that's a give-me right there. Um, the shrimp up here, the DOA shrimp, I'll go with that near-clear color a lot up here. Um, I'll go with the one uh, that clear with the red uh, fleck in it. That's a great clear water bait up here. Just natural color baits up here in this clear water. Now, in the river, things are a little bit different. You have to kind of match. The, the sun plays more of a role in that dark water as to what you actually are going to throw. Now, top waters doesn't really matter too much. I throw uh, a lot of the 808 color, which is the orange belly, uh, uh, black back. I throw a lot of the redhead, white body, top water. Um I'll throw the bone color a lot. Um, that one works really well. I'll throw the chartreuse belly, the gold side, and the chartreuse back. Uh, top pup or the she pup. I like the smaller ones. I like the pups better than I like the dogs. Uh, they tend to get in their mouth a little bit better. Then rather than hooking them on the side of the face, I'll actually have a hook in the mouth. Uh, so I like the pups better than I like the actual dogs that they make, uh, mirror lure makes. And, um, 
the colors will vary. You'll get some bright ones. You may even get some dark ones. Some days, if the water's really dirty, I'll throw that chartreuse head with the black body. Um, early and low light conditions for top water plugs. Now, my um, my mirror lures, my jerk baits, any of my hard swimming type baits, um, I'll throw them some pinks. I like pinks a lot. Uh, pinks, uh, it, it just works. Um, I'll throw some stuff with maybe a chartreuse bottom, maybe a chartreuse back. Not too much chartreuse, but a little flash of it is good because if you've ever looked at a Menhaden, his tail, it almost has a chartreuse look to it if you hold it up and look at it. He's got a, it looks like a, a little bit of chartreuse in the tail. So I'll throw some chartreuse bait, just a little bit of chartreuse in there somewhere. Um, as far as my, one of my go-to grubs in the river is the redhead with the uh, root beer paddle tail. Uh, and the paddle tail is actually chartreuse. So it's root beer chartreuse paddle tail uh, with a redhead. Man, that's a good one in the river. It all, everything eats it. Drum, trout, flounder, they all eat it. Um, it's a good one in the river. Um, and then if I'm further down river, say I'm down maybe near Baldhead on a rising tide when that clear greenish water kind of comes in the river instead of the brown water, which is a little bit further up river, I'll throw a little more natural colors down there. And as I move into that transition into that darker brown or water, water i transition over to kind of my darker baits a lot of times well man that was just what i was hoping to get out of you i mean that was detailed information on some color not just color choices but the theory behind why or the reasoning behind why certain colors and in that conversation you've already sort of hit on a lot of what we were going to move into next which is just some presentation notes when it comes to these mm -hmm. different artificials so yep. though you've already done it i think that's where we need to wrap up you know, with that last topic, I, I can't let it go. So, Stu, how about walking me through, you know, the top water, the soft plastic, the jerk baits, you know, giving me a little bit more on presentation, something perhaps you might not have touched on in that detailed lore description. Sure. The angle of your presentation is everything. And that's where I think a lot of people struggle is the angle of their presentation. Um, they're not using the current to help them present the bait in the proper manner where you're actually going to be able to feel the bite, control the lure, hold the lure in the position you need to hold it in, and also maybe even tweak the bait so that the bait will arc a certain direction. Um, that's uh, mainly all on where you position your boat, the angle that you're throwing, your trajectory of your lure as you throw it, and then how the current is going to pull on your line as, as it's in the water. And it's a lot to think about, but in order to be successful, you really have to think about that is the angle of presentation with the current, with the type of bait you're using. Because with different baits, the angle of presentation changes. Like with an X-Wrap, the lip on the X-Wrap is going to hold the bait down in position. So I'll anchor up current from where I want to hit.
because I can throw that X-wrap down current and put it to the point or to the corner or to the eddy or whatever I'm trying to hit. I'll pull that bait down, bang it a few times and let it sit. And as I let it sit, I'm using that current to one, keep my line tight and also keep it nice and sensitive to my rod because they're going to hit it while it's sitting absolutely still. So I'm using the current to help me, but you have to position your boat right. Now with mirror lures, mirror lures, it's kind of the same thing. You can actually, you heard guys say they tune a mirror lure. You can tune a mirror lure to arc off a certain direction by how you turn those little eyelets on the mirror lure. And everybody says, oh, well, I want it to run absolutely straight. Well, not all the time do you want it to run absolutely straight. If I'm anchored up current and I have a little corner down there and I want to throw behind the corner and work it around the edge of that corner, well, then I just tweak that eyelet a little bit. That way I can throw, let the current push it, and then I can work that bait in an arc right around that corner. And that allows me to run a shallow one, a mid-depth, and a deeper one and fish right off the drop where those fish will be with that mirror lure. Because there's a certain little area that you're going to find those fish. And if I can work my bait successfully around that area and keep it in the strike zone longer, then I'm going to get bit a little bit more. Um, So presentation, how you angle your cast, how you use the current, is huge and it took me a long time to figure out how to make a mirror lure arc around a corner and get it to stay in position and actually have the action that you wanted to do but you can do that you can arc those things around the corners based off the current and it's all about turning that eyelet on the top you just have to play with it so and i'm sure you've seen it where you guys have thrown them before and they want to arc off to the left or to the right and you bring them to the boat and you straighten that thing up well that that arc off to the left or right can come in handy depending on what type of situation you're at. Now, the, the exact opposite is true when I'm fishing, say, a DOA shrimp in a popping court. With a DOA shrimp in a popping court, I'm throwing it up current, and then I'll fish it back to me because the cork is my indicator. So I don't have to worry about feeling the bite so much. As soon as I see that cork going, boom, I know he's there. Now, I can also fish that away from me, too, because I can throw it short and feed out six feet of line, give it a snap and let it drift. Give it a snap, feed out another six feet of line, flip the bail, follow it down, pop it again. So where you position your boat with the particular baits that you're using allow you to present things in different manners. But that presentation of how you show them the bait is everything. And if you really want to get away from you know, throwing a cheeseburger at them all the time, go over to artificials because you're actually fishing a little bit more rather than feeding them. I mean, you throw a live shrimp in front of a trout, guess what? He's going to eat it. And, you know, a live shrimp with a treble hook, you know, a four-year-old can catch a trout with a live shrimp and a treble hook. But you give somebody you know, a DOA shrimp, and they got to fool them into biting, that's a whole other ball game. And that's where it comes into, I, I, I kind of feel like, I like knowing that I've 
actually fished for them with artificials and tricked them into biting this bait rather than throwing a cheeseburger out there in front of them. Man, you just helped me win 10 bucks, man. I bet Billy 10 bucks that you're going to use the cheeseburger analogy when you're talking <laughs> about trout. So, man, I appreciate that. It's going to buy me a couple of beers. There I appreciate you, you being just predictable. Just for you, my man. I appreciate you being predictable <laughs> with the cheeseburger analogy, man. You're welcome, my man. Stu, 20 plus years, you're more than a trout guy. I think we've brought our winter trout. I mean, I know we could go on and on. We brought today's winter we trout discussion to the end. We didn't even get to go into the cold water situation. So we're going to have to do this again because I didn't even get to talk about fishing below 55 degrees. We are going to do it. We're not going to do it tonight. We're going to do it and we're going to make a date. We're going to make a January date. Perfect. And uh, we're going to talk about below 55. I like Sounds it. Great. I need I need to fill up the January calendar. So not only did you make me 10 bucks, now you're helping me fill up my calendar. <laughs> All right. But for this episode, why don't you tell everyone what Goal Leader is doing throughout the calendar year? Start in the spring, sort of walk me through some of the targets other than trout that Gold Leader likes to focus on. Sure. Well, okay. Well, year-round, I'm focusing on trout. I trout fish year-round. Um, spring, summer, fall, winter, I, I trout fish all year-round. Well, let's say we're starting in March. We've already been striper fishing pretty much all winter. So I'll striper fish. Once we get into April, I'll still always trout fishing. There's always trout in there somewhere. I'll transition over to the drum. I really like drum fishing a lot uh, in the spring, in the summer, and in the fall, uh, especially throwing spinner baits up in the grass. That's a super fun. That's just a fun day. Beating the banks up, dropping the trolling motor, burning your batteries up, uh, and just throwing you can't throw anymore and you're it's just spinner baits coming out of the grass and they just clobber those things um that is a blast for me and i do that all summer long you know spring summer fall i, I love throwing those spinner baits for those redfish and top orders and stuff but mainly spinner baits and top orders for the reds that's a huge thing for me also now once june gets here i gotta go for the cobias i go sight fishing for cobias uh, um i love the way they taste so i like to catch a couple to eat um we throw that big doa uh big fish lure at them we cast at them it's like a big soft plastic jerk bait and they clobber that thing um i do a lot of sight fish for cobias i like to go down in the summertime and cast at tarpon there's a lot of tarpon on the south facing beach and on the east beach and we'll go down there on the right conditions and drop the trolling motors and cast at different pods of tarpon uh, that's a lot of fun to do in the middle of summer. I'll mess with the king mackerel a little bit. I kind of got to break the, you know, break it, break it up a little bit in the summertime. Maybe go slow troll for kings. Maybe bust off the beach, maybe eight or ten miles one day, and go hit a ledge or hit some stuff out that way and troll for a few kings. Uh, once we get back into the fall again, it's pretty much for me back in shore. I tend to go right back at the drum and the trout. Um, and then uh, I'll run that all the way through the wintertime, the drum, the trout. And then we just start adding the stripers in there. Once it gets into like November, we're, you know, we're adding striper trips in there too, a little bit further up river. And uh, so, yeah, pretty much year round, we're catching something. And, you know, here in the dead of winter, when it gets really cold for me, I have a tough time slowing down uh, at fishing. So um, I have a tough time trout fishing in, you know, February 
when it's really cold, but the striper bite is still really good and the drum and the surf are really fun. So we'll run the beaches for the redfish, find those big schools of four or 500 fish uh, and catch them in the surf. Or we'll go in the river and we'll go throw some uh, some good hard baits or some good soft plastics for stripers in the river because you can fish fast, you can fish aggressive for those guys. So that pretty much sums up about my year. That's about what I do year round. Well, right on, man. I've thoroughly enjoyed reconnecting with you here via podcast. Um, reminds me of the good old days of early Fisherman's Post when captains right. such as yourself would stop by the office and actually put a physical photo in my hand. That is That's right. <laughs> Handing me a physical photo is the roots of Fisherman's Post and the Stu Calder-Gary Hurley relationship. Thank you, man. Right. I was sincere to say we'll have you back in January. We'll talk about under 55 degree Absolutely. trout fishing in the wintertime. But for tonight, thank you very much, Stu. Absolutely, man. You know, call me anytime whenever you're ready to go and uh, we'll get it all set up. And we'll do it again. Right on. All right, brother. Thank you, man. Billy. You. What's up, Gary? Welcome back, Billy. Such a good episode. Such a good episode. I was just it hanging was, out, man. taking lots of notes. A lot of takeaways, man. A lot of takeaways. Uh, I thought my one takeaway was going to be the big moon on the Mason Bro uh, inlet trout fishing at night because I like to trout fish at night. Uh, but it actually And you was, don't have a boat. We, have we covered that, that you don't have a boat? Uh, so I don't have fishing a boat, from the rock so. wall? So that would be tough. That would be tough. No, you can. You can get there. You can do some of that short. I thought that's why you locked, yeah. in, locked in on it well, is because you can actually do that without a boat. Some of it. Yeah, yeah, some of it. So I, I like that. But then when you started talking about tuning those mirror lures, I've never heard that before, man. I'm like, all right, I'm going to start twisting them up, see what I can do. That sounds um, fun. That would, have been my, that would have been my guess as your takeaway because I think that was sort of what res one of the elements that resonated with me. And, and I have found myself playing this unofficial game of guess what Billy's best takeaway is going to be. <laughs> okay, well, next yeah. time we're going to have you guess, and I'll tell you if you're right or not. <laughs> or I'll write it down. I don't know. But I don't want you to pick a takeaway based on stumping me. I, I really want to hear your best takeaway from the podcast. Hey, uh, Oh, man, it's been good. Wrap us up, man. Stu gave us a good information. Let's let's put this episode in the box, and we'll make, like I said, make a plan to talk to him in January. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, once again, we just want to thank you, uh, everyone, for uh, checking us out, watching, listening. Uh, once again, I'll just share this slide with you real quick. If you're watching, uh, you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and most recently, Amazon Music. Uh, go uh, And then also, you can watch on YouTube. And be sure to subscribe to those channels. Uh, we're really passionate about connecting with our audience on there. And make sure you leave us a comment. We're always listening uh, to your comments as well. And then, once again, Gary, Marine Warehouse Center, making it all happen here on the Fisherman's Post podcast and uh, have a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm excited uh, what those guys come up with next and what, what food you share on the next episode. <laughs> Got me Terrell, curious. man, that guy's crazy. I don't. I opened up a Pandora's box when I said, hey, you want to hang out a little and talk about this podcast? Oh, I mean, man. he's a great host, but I'm, a very enthusiastic one. I mean, I, I, I need to cool it a little bit, perhaps. Yeah, man. I'm a little jealous. I'm a little jealous of the relationship, but whatever. I like corny jokes. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Gary. Billy Thorpe, thank you, man. Yep. We'll see you next time.